pray with me? Oh God, in the stillness, come meet us. Amen. So I remember when I was in Cusco, Peru, far, far from home, and my sister and I were out um, one night. There was a friend who was driving us back to our hostel where we were staying. And I remember leaning my forehead up against the glass of the window and feeling the, the coolness of it and looking up. And in Peru, especially in Cusco, the sky was blacker than black. I mean like this, the, the darkest, most beautiful sense of black that you can imagine. It was so pronounced because there was less artificial light streaming onto the streets. And so the stars were dazzling. I mean, it seemed like they were more numerous than ever before. It was a sparkling array of delight. And I remember in those moments how my heart swelled that I felt amazed that this could be the same sky that I could see from home, from the other hemisphere, that I felt huge and I felt small at the same time. It was this sense of deep connection, and I felt God's presence, and I felt God's embrace. You know, I have another memory of stargazing as well. Once when a college friend invited me to her home and her parents lived out in the country, one of their favorite activities was to pull out the blankets and the telescopes and to go lay out in the backyard looking at the stars. Now I had gone stargazing before, but never with a telescope. And we laid on our backs trying to focus these tools to help us see, and my friend knew the names of the constellations, so she was trying to teach them to me. And I have to be honest that pretty soon I got kind of tired of squinting my eyes and trying to turn the telescope to see. And so I just cast it aside and I just laid back and opened my eyes to take in all the wonder of it. And so I wonder, what about you? Have you ever gone stargazing? And you know that feeling of being totally overwhelmed with the beauty of the night sky. Feeling perhaps both alone and also connected to God at the same time. Or maybe you are one like my friend who studies the stars intently, knowing the constellations and the alignments and the mysterious meanings contained within. The Magi certainly did. Now, because of the popular hymn which we sung today and I dearly love, We Three Kings, right? We often think of them as kings and we number them as three. But if we read the text carefully, the Bible doesn't actually say either one of those things. Matthew calls them wise men in the New Revised Standard Version. That's the one we read from this morning. And they are wise, but it's not because they have advanced degrees or because they have studied hard. But rather they are wise because they're using their education to help them discern the will of the heavens. They're Gentiles, which most simply means that they are not Jewish. And they're not necessarily interested in finding the king of the Jews because of the prophecies that they have been handed down from of old through the Jewish religion. No, they actually follow another religion. It is the religion of the stars. And according to Courtney Roberts in her book, 
the star of the Magi, the mystery that heralded the coming of Christ. This term Magi is the plural form of Magoi in the Greek language, which means something more like, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this, Zoroastrian priests. Now these priests were skilled at interpreting dreams and understanding astrology. They told fortunes, they prepared daily horoscopes. And Zoro Zoroastrianism is one of the oldest religions in the world. And it is in fact still practiced today in some parts of Persia. So these priests were studying the stars because they believed the stars foretold the miraculous births of divinely appointed and so they were anticipating the birth of Jesus through their own religious lens. I think we could also say that God was getting their attention through their own worldview and their own religious practices. And in the Wesleyan language, we would call this prevenient grace. Because prevenient means coming before. It is that grace of God that, that comes before, right? Before we might acknowledge, before we might know that God is working in our lives, maybe before we even realize that God exists, God is pursuing us with a grace that is active and already working in our lives. It is a grace that is always present with us going before our recognition or our acceptance of God's grace. And so for me, it's a little bit humbling to imagine that God's prevenient grace is working through this Zoroastrian astrology to lead these magi to the Christ child. This is not your conventional evangelism technique, is it? Mailing a postcard or having a friend invite you to worship. No, these magi follow the star rising in the east, and it ultimately leads them to a humble home where they find the one they recognize to be a king. But before we get there, I invite you to back up a little bit with me and imagine the courage that it took for them to set out on this journey. I mean, how long did this journey take? Some scholars estimate that they traveled for two years before they came to the place where Jesus was. What tenacity to keep following the star. And what were the obstacles on that journey that made them persist in following the star? And then before they even reach Jesus, they reach King Herod in Jerusalem, and they ask him for the child who has been born king of the Jews. And King Herod responds with fear. He feels threatened by this possibility of another king of the Jews, and he calls together all the chief priests and the scribes, and he asks them, where has the Messiah been born? They tell him it was in Bethlehem of Judea. And so he calls for the Magi, and he asks them when the star first appeared. And then he sends them off to Bethlehem, saying, you'll find the child there, but when you find him, Come back and tell me. And he says it's so he can also go to the child and pay him homage. So these magi were good at reading the stars. 
They've developed and honed this skill for years. But I have to wonder, are they also good at reading people? Can they see through King Herod's verbal promise that he wants to worship the king also? Do they understand that below his words that he is feeling scared and threatened by this birth? Can they figure out that his intention is not as pure as theirs? His is not an honest seeking. And so I wonder what they pondered in their hearts as they traveled this final leg of their journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Are they asking themselves these questions? Why was Herod acting so suspicious? Why do we feel uneasy about him? Now, according to Matthew, as they continue on their way, the star is back leading them, guiding them. This is the one that they had seen when it rose in the sky. And the star leads the way until it stops over the house where Jesus is. I love this image. The star stopped. That it's been leading them all this way, and they've chosen to keep following it, even when the journey has turned into years, even when it has disappeared for a moment, and they needed help from Herod in Jerusalem, even when they might begin to wonder if the risk they are taking is worth it. God's provenient grace keeps drawing them to follow this star. And then the star stops. And so they stop too. And when they stop, they find what they're looking for, and they are joyful. They see the child Jesus with his mother Mary. They kneel down and worship. They offer the gifts, which end up providing for the financial means for this humble family to flee to safety. And the final sentence in this section of scripture for me comes abruptly. The very next line after they offer the gifts says that they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and so they go home by another way. And so I have to ask, did they spend the night in Mary and Joseph's humble abode, and was it then that they dreamed this dream? Or had this been a dream that was haunting them along this path between Jerusalem and Bethlehem? We don't know. But what we do know is that the Magi are good at discerning dreams. They are just as good at discerning dreams as they are at following stars. And so even though the star has stopped, they move on. They don't linger with Jesus. They don't go back to Herod. They go home by another road. And this, for me, is when the questions become personal. When I begin to look inward and wonder, what does this mean for me, for us? Because what are the stars that I am following, that you are and when we find that our gaze falls heavenward, how do we know which stars to follow? And do the stars that we follow lead us to Jesus? Do they lead us to this Christ child? The commentary on the general board of discipleship pushes this in even a slightly different direction by asking these questions. Where are those places where Jesus is and where we must stop? Under the bridges where the homeless live? At the hospice when someone is facing the very last hours of life? Or at the school 
where a child tells a teacher about the abuse he has experienced. These are the places where the darkness is so dark and the stars shine so brightly. The places where, as the Gospel of John says, light comes into the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. Or for you today, is it that you have faithfully followed the star and it is stopped? And now you are faced with the decision, what is next? Is it time to move on, even though the star has stopped? Which way do I go? How do I follow the light of Christ that now lives in me and always shines into the world? You could be asking yourself, what project has priority? Which path do I take in this new year? Is there a relationship I need to let go? or one I need to strengthen? Is there an adjustment in my life I need to make to be more faithful? And how does all of that ultimately bring honor to the Christ child, which the star has helped us to find? Because, my friends, this is ultimately what Epiphany is all about, the revelation of the Christ, the coming into the world of light and of love, that Epiphany invites us into the spiritual journey that takes us to Jesus. The divine signs that on our path point us to where God wants us to go. And the star helps us to know where to stop so that we can find Jesus. And the practice of following the star where it's leading us helps us to discern what to do when the star has stopped. But it's time for us to keep moving on and keep sharing the light and love of Christ. And so this day, as we prepare to come to the table of grace, we remember the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, my people, for the light has come. We come to this table of grace, seeking light, seeking love, seeking the joy of God. And so let us pray. O oh God, before the mountains were brought forth and before you had formed the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you alone are God. You created light out of darkness and brought forth life on the earth. You formed us in your image, and you breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity. You made covenant to be our sovereign God and spoke to us through your prophets. Holy are you, O God, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you have revealed yourself, our light and our salvation. You sent a star to guide wise men to where the Christ was born. And in your signs and witnesses in every age and through all the world, you have led your people from far places to this light. So God, we remember how Jesus gathered with the disciples on that night before he died. He took the bread from the table, he lifted it up and gave thanks to you, broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
When the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so it is in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, that we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. We ask, O oh God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon each person gathered here, and upon these gifts of bread and fruit of the vine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God. Amen. I invite those who are serving to come forward at this time. As we prepare for the table, we remember that in the United Methodist Church we have an open table, which means that all are welcome regardless of your age or your faith background, that you're welcome to come and receive this grace. 